I have to say, I was a trained athlete. <laughs> yes, I used to train three, well, six times a week, three times a week, twice a day. I was a, a Middlesex champion at 800 meters. I love athletics, so I do a little bit in the morning. I just started to do me 10 press-ups, 10 sit-ups, and 10 star jumps every day. You know, well, okay. <laughs> You think I'm jacket? And I'm 54, yay, God is good. <laughs> So it's great to be uh, back up on, again after a little break, as it were. It's funny how things go. You don't speak for a month, and then when it does come, it all comes at once. Yesterday, I, I was at uh, Howlands with Ronnie. That's Howlands Baptist Church for, uh, um, I think, Ben's breakfast, and I spoke there. Of course, when you book these things way ahead, just get the sound down there, because I think I'm echoing a bit. When you book these things way ahead, you, you think there's nothing in the diary. Then when it comes up, you think, oh, it's like buses in London. They all come at once. <laughs> well, I don't know if you were here last week, but last week was a Chris preached a tremendous message. You know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you weren't here, where were you? And secondly, get listen to that message you know with the podcast and everything that was a tremendous message man, I was stirred up after that man you know at the end of the service people said we're in you know and I was like yeah we're in <laughs> great message now there was a leaders meeting in the week I, I couldn't be there because I was teaching up in Birmingham however I, I got the message that they, they usually send a feedback via uh, email and I read the feedback and I was like arrested by what Chris said. I need to put my glasses on one moment. Last week, you know, the bigger, he, he talked at the leaders' meeting about stretching and straining to take hold of what God has set before us. And he spoke some three scriptures uh, Philippians 3 12 to 14, Ephesians 1 and 3, and Hebrews 12 1 and 2. Now, my attention as I began to think about it, because you always, Chris said to me, preach what you want, you know. I won't say what he really said, but <laughs> yeah, he said, go command. I said, easy. <laughs> you know, it was just do what you want. But I was arrested by this, uh, these scriptures. And my attention was drawn to pick two of those. Ephesians 1.3, which is the one I'm not going to look at, just said that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But I want to just focus down on Philippians 3.12 and 14 and Hebrews 12.1 and 2. You know, it's interesting that Richard talk about me being an athlete because when I was a, an athlete, my coach taught me to always run through the line. So... You run, and you don't run to the line, you run through the line. Uh, if you watched the uh, World Athletics Championships, if you're into, into that, Christina Horogu, did you see her 400 meters, how she won in the last stride? She stretched, she pressed through the line. So the title of this morning's message is Run Through the Line. So then. Let's look at Philippians 3, 12 to 14. This is Paul. Well, not me. This is Dennis, but this is Paul speaking, right? I, I like to say that, you know. This is Paul. Where has he come down? <laughs> right? This is Paul. Paul is, uh, writes at least, he's written about 12 books of the New Testament, from prolific writer. And he's here talking to, writing to the Philippians around about AD 62. And this is what he says. 
Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my arrived, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, background here is that you know, Paul was an enemy of Christ. He was an enemy and followers of Christ. And in fact, in Acts chapter 9, we read there that he was actually going down to Damascus with the, with the intent to kill followers of Jesus. And what happened is that he had a life-changing encounter with Jesus as he went down to Damascus. In fact, he had a, we called it Damascus Road Experience. In a vision, God came to him. Now then, later on in his life, at the end of Acts, you can read in Acts 26, he's standing before King Agrippa and he's being autobiographical in front of him. And this is what he says. He says this. This is what Jesus said to him on the Damascus Road when he met, had that life-changing encounter. Jesus said to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and what you will see, of what you see, of see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith. So King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. And I'd have loved to be in there because Paul is in chains, but he's like, he's like, not he's better than Rumpel of the Bailey, but he's, he's like a man in court. And he's speaking as it were to him. He said, look, I wasn't disobedient to that. So what it was is that when Paul had that encounter, it was so life-changing, he went from being an enemy to being the person who would bring the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles, that's to us. Now then, let's just kind of get into this. So first point here, pursuing the call. Not that I've already obtained it. All this are already arrived at, at my destination, but I press on to take hold of what of that which Christ took hold of me. Now, what did Paul understand? Well, what happened was this, you see. When God spoke to him, he had a plan and a purpose for his life. Up until then, he thought him being a Gentile and him, well, I beg your pardon, him being a Jew and being a rabbi and being highly educated under Gamaliel, his plan was to actually obviously proselytize as many people as possible into the Jewish faith. But he was turned about face. He wanted to take hold of the vision and the mission that gripped his heart and turned his life around. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> he pursued that call with all his strength, with all his might for all his life. And in fact, Paul was like a heat-seeking missile. You know, like, you know those exocet, well, I don't know him personally, but you know these missiles, you know, that they send that kind of fly down the street, 
turn down West Street and up that place, and they know exactly where they're going to blow up. Kind of scary. Paul was like that. Nothing distracted him from where God, from the mission and the vision that God had given him. Now, what do we need to understand? Well, you need to understand when Paul said this. He said this after the third journey. He'd made three or four journeys across what we would call the Mediterranean, and he didn't have a train. He didn't have a car. So he traveled hundreds of miles. So when he's writing this to us, he's not writing it after his first trip. It's after his third trip. And he's still running hard. Now here's the question for us. What has Christ taken hold of you for? What has Christ taken you hold for? What is it? You see, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul writes to us, he says, look, I'll read it for you. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. And here it is, prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, God has something for you that is customized, that no one else can do. He looked down the annuals of time and he saw you and he planned you and is preparing you for something that is unique that only you can do. You think your job is just to go to work and, and earn money and look after the family. Yes, that's important. But God has something else for you to do. Now, it could be that God has called you to be in that organization and to be the conduit through which he brings his life and his love and his liberty and his compassion and his mercy to the people that you move amongst. It could be that God has called you to be part of this church, not so that you can just sit in the chair and vicariously live the life of faith on a Sunday morning and enjoy a wonderful message and then take off your seatbelt and then go back, eat donuts and go back out and, and live your life. He has something for each one of us to do. And Paul, he found what it was and then God prepared him for it. And I would have it, put it to you that God has something for you to do. And he's preparing you for it. And he wants you to release you into it. And he wants you to press into it. And he wants you to be consumed by it. Because friends, at some point in your life you need to understand that you need to be involved in something that's bigger than you. That's gonna take divine power. It's gonna take wisdom and strength beyond your natural wisdom and strength and experience to fulfill the plan and purpose that he has for your life. And this is a good work. It's a good work that God has for you to do. Now, not everyone is going to have to preach and teach, but whatever it is that God calls you to do, find out what it is. Ask him to prepare you and then be ready to go. So what's our mission? To find out what it is and prepare and pursue it. Find out what it is, prepare and pursue it. 
And please, it doesn't mean that you're going to stand on a platform and do this. For some of you, you will. But it may be other things. You see, friends, the church doesn't just run with 12 people that happen to be full-time staff. Friends, each one of us has a part to play. So find out what it is that God would have you do amongst us. Prepare and pursue it. Well, next point here. And I'm kind of, I'm trying to preach through this. Philippians 3.13, and Philippians, yeah, 3.13, avoiding distractions. Now we read here, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. <laughs> it's interesting when Paul is talking again autobiographically in 2 Corinthians 11, 24, 29. <laughs> Through the things that he suffered in the pursuit of the call. This is, uh, listen to the things that Paul went through. Five times he received 39 lashes. And they, if you gave you 40, that, was, that would be too much. So five times, not once, five times. Let's list it here. Three times beaten with rods, pelted with stones, three times shipwrecked, spent a night and a day in the open, constantly on the move, danger from rivers, danger from bandits. And we're not talking about golfing bandits. We're talking, right, some of you know what that means. Danger from fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country. Danger from false believers, dangers, uh, gone without sleep, gone without food, be, being cold and naked, and then there's the daily pressure of being a pastor. These are all things that came upon Paul as he pursued the call. Now, you know, I felt shame when I read this because, you know, I don't know what kind of week you've had, but I went up to Birmingham and when I came back, my wife texted me, Eileen, to say, oh, the car, the tire, the car has a flat tire because, of course, I left it at home. So when I got back to Milton Keynes, you know, I tried to get the earlier train, but not on the one on the ticket, and ended up having to pay more for it, but that's just the way it goes, you know. And then I got back the next day. I couldn't actually, I couldn't deal with the tire because it was too late in the night. When I got up in the morning, trying, I said, right, I've got a meeting with the CEO at 10.30. I should be able to get up in time to get the tire off. So go to get the tire off, push the tire wrench, the tire wrench snaps. Hmm, this is not good, right? So, get the neighbors, we get the tire off. So we get the tire there to the, to, to the garage. Thought they'd repair it, I knew I needed another one. When I get that, I get a telephone call. Yes, you don't, you don't just need one tire, you need two, and you need new disc and pads. <laughs> okay, so just deal with it. Then there's family pressures and all the rest of it. But I thought to myself, when I read this list, I thought, Oh, then these are just duck bites. You ain't got nothing like this. You, you know, when I read this, I thought, this kind of puts my kind of stuff in perspective. And we've all got stuff going on. Yeah? But it kind of gets in perspective. Have you had to go a day and a night naked and, in, you know? Have you had people, have you been, a, you know, danger in the city? Sounds like a title of a good film. Danger in the country. You know, you, 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 we, we don't experience this, but Paul stayed focused. 
These things are distractions. Let me just tell you something. The minute you find out what it is God calls you to do, there will be distractions. There will be financial distractions. There will be emotional distractions. There will be relational distractions. There will be spiritual challenges. There will be warfare. It comes with the turf. So don't be surprised at the fiery trial of your faith although some strange thing has come upon you. That's what Peter said. It's, it's part of the process. The key thing here is this. This is what, what was Paul's antidote to this? I love this, you know, because most of us, we want, oh, you know, I've had so much trouble. You say, oh, Paul, you bless your heart, you know. You really want comfort. And there's a pain for that. But this is what Paul says. He says, look, 2 Corinthians 4.17. His response to that list is, for our light and momentary troubles are achieved for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. In other words, what you go through is all preparation for not this, this life, but for the next. That's his antidote to it. He says, look, when the trouble comes, you're right on track. If there's no trouble, you, then you ain't on track. The minute you start to press in, you start to strain, you start to make yourself available, you start to put aside the stuff that gets in the way, Troubles are coming. But this is nothing new. Jesus said, you will have trouble in this life. But don't be afraid. I am with you. Because, and you know why we can do this? Because we do not have our eyes on the things that are seen. Temporal. One of the challenges, one of the dangers, I think, in the Christian life is this, that Temporal things, which are good things, which are usually the enemy of the best things, developing your career. As Benjamin Disraeli put it, going up the greasy pole. <laughs> right? Now, 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 you have to put this in perspective because for some of you, God wants you to be the chief executive of that organization because they need someone on there that's godly and has integrity and will demonstrate how to treat people correctly. So I say that by way of parenthesis. However, the fact is that temporal things, things that are important, can become more, can nudge the things of God's kingdom and the things that are eternal and, let me put it, marginalize them. And it's gradual. You don't just stop coming to church all of a sudden it's just that you find other things to do on a Sunday morning. Or what some people do, they move to a different area, don't worry about the church, and it's just, yes, we will find a church, blah, blah, blah. And then they get into life, and life gets busy, and they get busy with their kids, and then Sunday morning, you know, they want to play football, blah, blah, blah. And before you know it, they're no longer going to church anymore. I just met a good friend, you know. It was just by chance as I'm coming back from Birmingham, I was meant to be on that train, even though it cost me an extra bit of money. He used to come here. And I said, yeah, what's going on with you? He said, oh, you know, we're kind of busy at the moment, not been going to church, but we really miss it, miss it. But they're doing very well in their careers. We want to make sure that whatever it is that God has called us to do, which is the main thing, that's the thing that we focus on. And we don't allow the temporal things, which are good and proper, to marginalize the main event. Let's make the main thing the plain thing, which is his kingdom. So, it's not just about the temporal things, it's about the 
eternal things. Because we have our eye, Paul said, on eternal things. That's verse 18. He says, you know why? We don't worry because we've got our eyes on something eternal. The time that some of the stuff that I do, like we all do, is good. It's temporal. But this is eternal. People's lives are changed for eternity when we share the good news about Jesus with them, when we pray with them. I had a couple of, two, three encounters up in Birmingham that for those people may well be life-changing. Which means we need to press on with our hearts and our minds and be fully focused and engaged with what God has called us to be and to do. So how do we do this? Now, I've kind of stirred you all up and all the rest of it, but now I'm going to take you down to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to take you to verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So how do we lay aside? How do we get the weights off? Because you see, some of us, we're not even on, in the race, we're not even started. Some of us have actually said we have disqualified ourselves. But the writer to the Hebrews says that we need to lay aside the hindrances and the sin that so easily entangles us. So how can we do this? Now this is a process, but I'm going to start with one word. How do we do it? John 1, 7 to 9. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So how do we get the weights off? Confession. is how we begin to get the weights off. Most of you, don't re- we don't realize, I say most of you, we don't realize how powerful confession is. Confession activates the power of the cross for us. When we say it the way it is, you see, friends, you and I have stuff in our lives. And when we make confession, when we come to God and tell it the way it is, it activates the cross in our lives so God can move. But you know what else confession does? Confession leads us to repentance as we acknowledge our powerlessness to save ourselves. 
We need a deliverer. Let me tell you, friends, I know this. Every day of my life, I need to be delivered. You see, the big mistake we make is that we come to the cross initially and become followers of Jesus because we know we need to be delivered. And then after we've come to Christ and become a follower of Jesus, we don't think we need to be delivered. Friends, you need to be delivered every day. I know I do. I need to be rescued. And you know why I need to stay in that place? Because God is the creator and I am created and I was designed to be dependent on him. Oh, thank you. The antithesis of that is that in the world, we are taught to be independent. We are told to be autonomous. But the whole point about the Christian life, and it's, it, it's irksome for us because of the fall, is to be dependent on God. So when you make confession, you're recognizing your powerlessness to deliver yourself. Now I have to be careful because I'm going to preach every one of these points, and I don't want to do that. Confession brings us back into the light, and therefore into fellowship with God and each other. So when you make confession, you see, this is the point. Sometimes if you're wondering your relationships why you're not, you and your partner are not getting on, chances are what the problem is is that you have hidden stuff. But the minute we make confession and we bring it into the light, it loses its power. Whatever you're doing in secret, the minute you bring it into the light, it loses its power. And you're in fellowship with God and each other. Confession brings me out of isolation and aloneness. Because you see, sin separates. And when we make confession, you see, you can be in a church and you can come to a church like this and be alone. Because confession isolates you. When you fail to confess, it isolates you. But the minute you confess, you step into the light, you you make yourself known. And you don't have to be this kind of person that's always perfect, because you know you're not, so do we. But the minute you begin to acknowledge it, it makes a difference. Confession stops me from being a hypocrite. So I don't need to keep up appearances. You see, when you confess and you step into the light, and then people realize, oh, so you're not always a holy man of God, 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 or woman of God, 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 God. No, yeah? Because, you see, we used to go to them churches where everybody thought, you've looked at the people and they look like, holy woman of God, 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 God. No, 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 no. It stops you from being a hypocrite. When you have secret stuff going on, it creates duplicity within you. But the minute you confess it, boof, it's done. Friends, I have my person that I go to, it's Derek Fawcett, and when I confess my sin and whatever it is that I've done, I've confessed it to God, but when I confess it to Derek, it's in the light. There's no opportunity for me to live in duplicity. Who is it that you have that you share your stuff with? The Christian life was not designed for you to be the Lone Ranger. You were designed for community. You know what happens? Oh, blessed God. What happens is that some of us get so close to coming into light and then we get scared and we run away because we don't want people to know because we're more concerned about what they will think. Friends, 
The community of God's people is the place that should be the safest place on the earth for you to come with your stuff, with your brokenness, with your woundedness, with your sinfulness, with your addiction, and come and find a place. You're loving it, Linda, right? Y'all can see it. (laughs) Right? You see, this is the place where you can come and receive grace and mercy and compassion for your time of need. Amen? Amen. And we have to build churches like that. Because this is what church is about. More often or not, most of us, many of us who've been in church, it's not a safe place. You share your stuff, it's around the whole church. And that just increases the shame. By the way, this week, the store starts. If you know people on it, pray for them. Because those are people who are going there to deal with the hindrances and to deal with the pain and to deal with the sin. They're serious. So pray for them and pray for their families. Confession acknowledges God's power over sin, not mine. I don't have power over sin. God has power over sin. Confession opens the way for healing. Not of your, just of your body and of your spirit. Emotional healing, spiritual healing, physical healing. When we make confession, we're making way for God to do stuff in our lives. And when we confess our sins, our sin to safe people, we can trust not only does it build community, but we experience a deep release from shame. Shame is a powerful thing, friends. It imbues all of us. And it keeps us from entering into the plans and purposes that God has for us. When there's shame in your life, you will disqualify yourself from serving God. When there's shame in your life, you will not allow people to get to know you because you're so worried about what they might find out that they may not want to be your friend anymore. Shame causes you to sabotage things that are good in other people's lives. Shame is a powerful thing. But when you make confession to someone, to God, yes, and to someone you can trust and you walk through that, the power of shame is broken off of you and you begin to live in the liberty and the life that God intended for you. They're there now, bringing it home. You know, God has prepared a plan for each one of us to do in advance. However, the weight sometimes of sin and shame stops us from rising up to run through the line. God's intention for us is that we would begin to experience, yes, the glory of his goodness and rise up to be the people that God intended us to be. But you know what? The devil robs God of his glory by robbing us of ours. I'll say it again. The devil robs us, robs God of his glory by robbing us of ours. If we're going to run this race, we need to press in and stretch 
to the line in the sand that God has put in the ground metaphorically this morning. And if there's shame, and if there's pain, and if there's sin that you know that keeps tripping you up, then this is the day to stand up and come and get the ministry that you need and maybe for the first time, cross the line. And let me tell you this, Jesus is standing on the other side of the line. So what do we need to do? Fix our eyes on him. And friends, for some of you, even if you stagger across the line, Jesus is there to hold you. And he will comfort you. And he'll bring you into the light. And he'll minister his life into you. You'll be able to stand up once again. Should we all stand? Time has come. Just stand. Band come. Okay, well, never mind about the band. I'm out of Charles, so I'm in trouble now. Okay, forget band, band, relax. Oh, band, come anyway, just play in the background. Okay, <laughs> come, come. You know, I love the music. <laughs> this is an opportunity for you. This is an opportunity for you. Jesus draws a line in the sand. Can you stretch and can you run through? There's many of you here, you want to serve God, but there's some stuff in your life. And you think that if I start to serve God, man, and they find out about this, that's it. It's over. But, you know, God's plan is for us to run through. So if there waits on you this morning, we're going to, have, you know, we're going to go straight into ministry time. This is a real opportunity for you to come and break through, cross that line. It's time for you to make confession to God and to save people here so you can start the journey towards freedom. That you can begin to walk in the liberty and the dignity that, of, of, what, of what God has for you. You see, we were designed to be wonderful beings. We were designed to have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. We were designed to be vulnerable and transparent. And then Satan came and he destroyed that. But God's plan is to restore you so that once again you can walk and experience the glory of his goodness. His plan is for you to rise up and be the person that God always intended you to be. His plan is for some of you who've had dreams and aspirations, but they've been smashed and broken, but God's going to give you back your dreams and restore you to all that you intended to be. And nothing is going to stop the plan that he has for you. But this morning, for some of you, you need to come and you need to make confession, bring it into the light, experience his love, experience his mercy, experience his grace, and experience the sweetness of being received. That's his plan. And if, as you know, we have a prayer time, and if there's anyone here, as I read this, that, and it resonates with you, then come. And now, what I'd ask you to do now is, would you start to go over to the ministry time now? Yes? So if that's you, and you know, you've responded to what God is speaking into your heart, not to me, you go now. And if any of these things actually resonate with you, you also go. A man with a right hand which, which cannot grip. Someone with a hole in the heart. Someone with a dwarf. Or his wife. 
is worried that the child they are bringing has dwarfism, that's it. Someone with liver problems, someone with severe athlete's foot between the toes, an infection due to a hearing, an earring, uh, if you have pain in the right hip, shingles around the waist, and a swollen right foot, then you come too. So this is your opportunity. When I just release you, this is an opportunity for you to run through the line, to experience His grace and His mercy. Father, we bless you and praise you that your plan for us is to walk in the dignity and in the beauty and the power of your love and your grace. And as your community, we would press in to all that you have for us. And Lord, we would bring the weights and the hindrances and the sins that so easily entangle us before you. And Lord, we would come to you and ask your God that your grace and your mercy would come upon us. And we would know your healing and know your tenderness. And Lord, we would have clarity about what you would have us do. So Lord, bless us as we go forth this day. May we know your presence. May we know your power. May we know your protection. May we know your love. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his good countenance upon you this day. And may you know his peace and his presence and his power and his provision today and always. And everybody said amen. Please come now for the ministry time.